Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. And I've got a, a very special, not guest, but a very special contributor this week. Uh, this week, joining me again on the podcast for, I believe, is her her, her fifth return to the show is uh, not only the uh, the official Canadian ambassador to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, um, but she's also the, uh, the the resident Buffy expert, and, uh, and I'm sure there's other things on the list. Resident uh, Oscar Oscar nerd, uh, but but my very my very funny, silly, hilarious, lovely Canadian friend Liz Hersey. How you doing, Liz? I'm fabulous, Martin. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you back on the show. You haven't been on since uh since uh, since Oscar season. Since the good and, old Oscars. Oh goddamn love the Oscars. But beyond the Oscars, as much as we love the Oscars, uh we also probably more than the Oscars, and you can you can cut me off if I'm wrong, I think we probably potentially love Buffy the Vampire Slayer more than we love the Oscars. I think so too. And I think it's a different kind of lo- of love because Oscars it's such a concentrated amount of time. So yeah. from December to when the show airs, it's all about the Oscars. But then after that, it's over, it's done. But Buffy is year-round, all the time. Love it, love it, love it. Absolutely. And so it's different kinds of love there. Yeah, and anytime, uh, I think anytime you and I have an opportunity to talk about Buffy, uh, we, we, we both take it. I mean, you, not, you, you specifically, because you actually started a whole blog specifically with the purpose to give yourself an excuse to, to watch Buffy every week. You do the Liz channel, which is a very popular blog where you don't only talk about Buffy, but in a way, you, you kind of do Buffy's very much the, the heart and soul of, of your website. It is for sure. Yeah. Like you said, that's the reason why I started the whole thing. And sometimes I'll go off and if I want to talk about the Oscars, I'll talk about that. Sometimes I'll make a couple lists. Um, I have no fucking idea what I'm going to do once Buffy's (laughs) over. So yeah, any listeners with any suggestions, a couple people have said, oh, maybe do an Angel thing. And well, how many people really watched Angel? I don't know. So I I don't know. So I'm open to suggestions. But yeah, I'm, I'm having so much fun going back and watching them and it, as a grown-up as opposed to being a teenager when I watch the show and, and especially seeing how my opinions are a little bit different. So I'm I'm so happy to be here talking about more Buffy because it's my favorite thing ever. And for, for anybody, because again, this is uh, your fifth visit. Did I get that right? It's my fifth visit. Wow, you are. Uh, you might be off to go back and look at uh, previous return guests, but uh, outside of Chanel, you are you've got to be right up there with maybe the the most appearances. So, and I, I couldn't be happier to have a, another contributor contribute so much because you're always so great on the show. So, for anybody who's listening, and I can't imagine, I, I have a hard time believing somebody's hearing you on the show for the first time, but it's possible. So, if somebody's hearing you on the show for the first time, and maybe this is their first introduction to Liz Hersey, um, maybe just take a few minutes to tell them a little bit about uh, your website, the Liz Channel. Yeah, it's the listchannel.blogspot.com and every week, every Tuesday specifically, I watch an episode of Buffy and I just recap it real quick and say my opinions about it. They're, you know, very, very raunchy, very um, kinky, very fun and I just get a dialogue going and I'm all over Twitter talking about it so hit me up at Liz Ann Hersey 
and um, we can talk Buffy because I love hearing opinions. I love debating people. I recently um, got into a little Twitter debate, a very friendly one, about who the real big bad of season six was. Oh, interesting. So I, I maintain that it's the trio, um, for the record. And so, <laughs> so that, that's what I'm all about, just, you know, cracking jokes and uh, talking about Buffy. So, yeah, hit me up, please. And please um, leave a comment on the blog. Let me know if I'm nuts for what I'm saying. Let me know if you agree. A- anything. So. And the, the season six debate, because I missed that conversation on Twitter, but was it between the trio and Willow? And Dark Willow, yes. And my thing, the, the tri- the, people hate the trio. Um, I, I love the trio, personally, because I think after season five's Big Bad Glory, how do you top that? You don't really. Right. And so with season six, I feel that the Big Bad was kind of the B story and the A story was the relationships and the things that the Scooby gang was going through. Whereas in most seasons, that's kind of the B story and the A story is the big bad. So mm-hmm. I was fine that they weren't super destructive. And it turns out that they were because, mm-hmm. and, um, should, should we mention oh, that? Yeah, you know what? Yes. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> so from this point going forward, uh, Liz and I are not going to be delicate about spoilers. And I, and you know, generally speaking, I'm, I'm not a big fan of spoilers, but in order for us to have a, a fully engaged conversation about Buffy, we're going to end up hitting on things that, you know, if you've not seen all the episodes, you probably don't want to know. So if if you are one of those Buffy fans who's only just now working your way through the series. Um, what have po- you been doing? Yeah, well, yeah, first of all, what have you been doing? Pause this episode. Think about what have you been doing? Finish the series and then come back and uh, listen to this conversation because this is going to be wall to wall Buffy talk for the next I don't know hour two hours however long. we can never keep it we can never keep it under an hour <laughs> you and I but we'll, we'll see we can see we'll see if we can keep this to a, re- a reasonable timeline but uh, just a few quick thoughts on the trio like I, I love the trio I love that as uh, as far as big bads go they were they're organically built into the show so it wasn't it wasn't sort of like a not, you know, not that it's a bad thing to introduce a new bad guy just for the sake of a season, but I like the fact that they have a, a history with the show, and they didn't have a huge history with the show, but that's also part of the reason why they became big bads in the first place. Um, and and I also uh, uh, the, I, the the blonde one's my favorite. I can't think of his name. Andrew. Andrew, fucking he, love Andrew. He's so fun, and he was the only one who we hadn't seen before mm-hmm. um, because we'd seen Jonathan throughout their high school experience and Warren at the tail end of season five with mm-hmm. the sex bots that right. he was building. And it's funny because Andrew, it's this kind of running joke that he's not his brother Tucker, who we did see in season three. He was the, <laughs> the guy who trained the hellhounds to attack the prom. It's like, oh, I, and Andrew, his claim to fame is that he trained uh, the monkeys to attack the school play. And <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if they just couldn't get the Tucker guy. Because, like, like, why not just get this guy? Like, we'd seen Warren, we'd seen Jonathan. Why not get the Tucker guy? So, I mean, I, I don't even know the actor's name, so I doubt he was doing very much. But either way, I'm thrilled that they, they went with this guy, Andrew, because he's fabulous. And, oh, and he him. continues all the way on to season seven, where he's pretty pivotal. And he also um, he's also a regular character in the Buffy comic books. Is he? I just I got um, the first one for Christmas from my sister. This oh, season, good. So you'll dig so, it. You'll. I, I really enjoy them. I read season eight, and I think I either started season nine or I need to start season nine. But you'll dig them. the The only thing that threw me off a little bit is that the comic books encompass both the Buffy and Angel universe, and I didn't really get into Angel. It's it's I, I will eventually, but there's a whole lot. Of, I've only seen like maybe five episodes of Angel, like in season one. Yeah. So there's certain storylines that affect the comic book that um, I'm not completely 
I mean, you, I, you can still enjoy the comic books, but I mean, like, I love that they're keeping the continuity. It's just sort of, you know, there's certain things where I can't completely appreciate certain relationships or certain storylines. Also, uh, Jonathan, who uh, Danny Strong, has uh, somehow, so I have no idea how or when it happened, but he's got this amazing career as a screenwriter now. I know, because I was watching uh, Conversations with Dead People, which we'll talk about later this morning to catch up, and um, and Matt, my fiancé, he was, you know, doing stuff in the background, he would occasionally watch it, and, you know, we would point to this, you know, very, you know, small, nerdy character, and I'd say, <laughs> he is the showrunner for Empire, mm-hmm. which just won the Golden Globe for, uh, I think, Taraji B. Henson, P. Mm-hmm. Henson. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so th- this, you know, ki- little kid is this Hollywood dynamo now. Yeah, and he wrote the screenplay for uh, The Butler. I can't think of the director's name off the top of my oh, head. Oh, Lee Daniels, The Butler. Yeah, that was the first time I was like, that I, I was like, what, really? That, that? And, and, you know, no, he didn't. I'm so, I'm, I'm so thrilled for him because, again, as a Buffy fan, like, I feel like I know him. I was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Um, I know, right? But then I also then I'm also like, where the fuck did that come from? I mean, obviously, I mean, somebody more than more than one somebody believed. Oh, at the very least, Lee Daniels believed in him because I think he's also attached to Empire. But but either way, super duper cool to to see. You know, it, it's it, I love seeing Buffy connections sort of branch out and do really great things because I think we don't need any more reason to love the show. But I think it does help validate our love for the show of like, look at all the amazing things all these sort of you know Buffy alumni are are, are doing. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. So let's let's get to the the topic of this week's episode, which, if it's not obvious already, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But uh, on uh, May tenth, two thousand and twelve, Entertainment Weekly had an article where they went to Joss Whedon, who's a you know the the, the Buffy Buffy creator writer, the Buffy God, uh, you know the, uh, the the head of the of the Whedonverse, because not only beyond Buffy, he's got Angel and he's got Dollhouse and he's got Firefly, he's got the first two Avenger movies. Uh, he's there, there's a whole you know he's got the the, the agents of Shield on a on on ABC. Uh, he's he's touched a whole lot of really really wonderful entertain, entertainment that does kind of be known as the Whedonverse. And so Entertainment Weekly, uh, specifically Lanford Beard, a, a writer for Entertainment Weekly, went to Joss Whedon and asked him for his top ten favorite Buffy episodes. Which uh, I got to be honest, that's I, I have to imagine that was a little bit of a ballsy move. I, but but whatever. Uh, why not go to Joss and ask him for his ten favorite, and um, and 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 he did it. He came up with the uh, of you know it was on for seven seasons, so that's uh, God. What is that? One hundred and forty, one hundred and thirty episodes. Yeah, how many? It was epi- one hundred and forty-four episodes. So out of one hundred and forty-four episodes of uh, of his of his sort of crown jewel, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, had to come up with uh, his top ten, which is it's got to be interesting. So what I did is I contacted Liz. And I and I told her about this list, and I said we got to talk about this list. But the other thing that I did, or rather didn't do, is I decided not to look at the list, which may turn out to be good or bad. But uh, I wanted to have an honest response to the list as we went. So I'll kind of be seeing this list for the first time. Uh, Liz is much better with uh, keeping up with uh, with her homework, so chances are she probably did look at the list because she's more uh, more responsible when it comes to these episodes. But um, but but we'll see how this goes. And so so again, even though we already gave you a, a warning. Um, if you don't want spoilers, just know that Liz and I are going to have a fully engaged conversation about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're not going to tiptoe around any any spoilers. So if you don't want the show spoiled, um, you know, just pause the episode, watch the series, come back, and and I promise you'll enjoy whatever we we end up talking about. Uh, so how about that, Liz? You ready to go? 
I'm ready to rock. All right, so we will stop. I don't know if they give. I don't know if this list is in any particular order. I think it's in chronological order. Okay, that's fair. So in chronological order, because I would be asking way too much of Joss to actually name his say not only his top ten but say his favorite. I don't think I don't think he'd want to do that. But at the very least, his his ten favorite in chronological order. So um, uh, so I'll, I'll start at the top and we'll we'll see what we have to say about it. So uh, at the top of the list, again, no no particular order, but except for chronological, uh, episode called Prophecy Girl, which is from season one, is episode 112, and it's the season one finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and this is the one where Buffy proved herself beyond doubt in the season one finale when she closed the Hellmouth and dispatched the dreaded master. So Liz, when you see Prophecy Girl on this list, what are, what are your thoughts and uh, memories of this particular episode? I th- this is a very pivotal episode in the Buffy canon because I think season one across the board for most Buffy fans, it- it's good, but it's it's kind of training camp for what the series becomes. It's, yeah. it's still finding its feet both in terms of character and, and CGI, and, and it- it's not fully solidified as this epic television awesomeness that it becomes Mm -hmm. but prophecy girl that is where you really see how good the show is specifically for the scene where when buffy overhears giles and angel talking about the prophecy that she will face the master and die Mm -hmm. and her reaction where she just bursts out into this laughter and and she's crying and she's laughing because I think for me, the, the moments that are the most touching, especially in season one and season two, when Buffy, she's like 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. are when she, she's this huge superhero figure and she saves the world. But when you kind of stop and realize she, she's she's a teenager, she's a, a, a very young, not even fully woman yet. And, she, and so imagine at any age being told, yes, this will happen to you and you will die and there's nothing you can do. But imagine that at 16. Mm-hmm. So and just that reaction, just Sarah Michelle Geller, like where were the Emmy nominations for that? Because Exactly. She was just a powerhouse. And when you saw how how good she could be, mm-hmm. that I completely see why this episode is on the list. Yeah. It's, it's crucial in the Buffy canon. Yeah, and for anybody who's not a Buffy fan or hasn't watched the show excessively it's it's probably it's probably hard for you to wrap your brain around it because you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, it's sort of a genre fantasy sci-fi show about vampires and a slayer and it's cute and kitschy and a little bit campy and yeah that's that's cool and maybe maybe she does some good stuff but uh and and you know it's it's probably hard to take liz and i too seriously because we are so over the moon huge fans for the show but i mean at its best especially sarah michelle geller at her best in buffy the vampire slayer just just some of the just the, the best acting performances that you'll you'll ever want to see um, uh, when, when she's being dramatic, when she's put in a, in a, in a scene where, you know, where, where she's got to bring it, uh, she will, she will bring the tears out of you, whether you like it or not. Um, she'll, she'll make you laugh more than once. She's so fucking brilliant. I, I guess she's, she's essentially semi-retired. I heard an interview not long ago with the, her husband, Freddie Prince Jr. He's pretty much, a, he's, he's retired essentially from acting. And he said that, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is, not far behind, and then maybe she'll do a few more things, and then they'll just basically raise I their kids and count their money. A, they came out with a cookbook, I think. So th- I think they're they're into the uh, celebrity baking scene right now. So I, I think that's what they're they're really into. That's cool. And you know, like on the one hand, as a fan of of her and a fan of Buffy, it's like, well, I don't want her to retire. I want her to do more. But the reality is, 
you know, if all she ever did was seven seasons of Buffy, then that's like, that's really, that's, 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 that's enough for me because it's that body of work is, you know, it's, it's so, it's so fucking good. And it's brought me so much joy that, you know, she, as far as I'm concerned, if she wants to retire, she's earned it. As far as prophecy girl goes for me, yeah, I, I very much love this one. Um, I, I don't remember it in great detail, but I do remember Buffy and the master and that conversation that she overheard. And, and I remember just getting all choked up and, and crying when Buffy's like, you know, uh, just basically talking about, you know, she's a, like, she's a kid and she doesn't want to die. And it's the most honest response you can imagine anybody having, even a superhero like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it also kind of touches on just larger human themes of all of us, every one of us, whether it's on a daily basis or somewhere towards, you know, uh, the later years of our lives are going to be faced with our mortality. And it's not something that many of us like to think about. And so even though this is couched within, uh, you know, a fun, silly fantasy show about vampires, it does consistently hit on these very deep, resonating human themes of, in this case, you know, this the 16-year-old girl being faced with her mortality and being told that, you know, you're going to be dead in a, in a couple of days. And, and, so, and the show does that consistently where again, it's all the things that you imagine it is, but then, you know, just when you're not expecting it, it, uh, it just punches you in the gut with this wonderful, uh, you know, human, human, uh, human layer of like, Oh fuck, Jesus Christ. This, this, when, 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 when this, when did this get so goddamn good? And I think prophecy girl, like you said, is kind of the first time that it really shows, what it's going to be capable of over the the following six seasons, uh, seven altogether. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I mean, uh, Buffy the Vampire. So the, the name it, it sounds kind of stupid. It yeah. really does. But with, I can't count the number of times I've cried during these episodes. Many of the episodes are on this list, and like I've seen some of these episodes. I'm not even kidding. Probably twenty times, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And every time they get me to cry. And I think the first time, if we're going through the series chronologically, that, you know, I, I busted out the waterworks was that scene in this episode. So this is what really kicks off the, the emotional connection to Buffy for me. Because before, it was a fun show about this, you know, pretty high school girl who fights vampires, and it was great. But with this one, it, it went to a unreal, amazing territory. Absolutely. So let's go to the, uh, the next uh, episode chronologically, of course. Uh, it's an episode called Innocence. It was, uh, it was. Let's see, from season two of Buffy. It's, I believe, it's season uh, episode four. Well, I guess officially episode two of two fourteen, which is the fourteenth episode of season two. Uh, and this is uh, according to Entertainment Weekly. Just say no, kids, to sex with your vampire boyfriend. Buffy's decision to give up unlocked the evil and angel and kickstarted an amazing half of season two. So right away when I saw the title, I was like, Oh fuck, I do not remember this episode whatsoever. <laughs> but luckily reading the description, I do remember this episode. And this is, this is another great one. Glad to see it on the list. And it, it's, it's a one it specifically. So season one, Buffy it's, well, we, we get this great, you know, this, this great, you know, dichotomy between Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel, the vampire. And so of course, you know, you know, she's, she's a teenager and it's sort of, strikes a, a, I think a, a nerve with the a certain teenage themes of, of kids, you know, maybe being romantically uh, attracted to somebody who's the complete opposite or somebody who they really shouldn't be with. So of course that's played out with a vampire slayer. Of course, you know, she shouldn't be romantically attracted to a vampire, but Buffy is with Buffy and Angel. And so that starts the beginning of a very long love affair between these two. And then in this episode, this episode 14 of season two, Innocence, what we find out is not only 
shouldn't Buffy be romantically uh, uh, attracted to, to Angel, but she really, really, truly shouldn't be because once they actually consummate that romance and uh, and have sex, which on the one hand, uh, thematically speaking, it's Buffy losing her virginity, which is a, a huge rite of passage for for most anybody who you know you know breathes air. But in this case, <laughs> it's metaphorically represented that when when Buffy crosses this rite of passage, um, it comes with you know certain devastating consequences. In this case, it turns her boyfriend Angel into Angelus, which is this really evil, horrible, uh, masoch- you know, sadistic, I was going to say masochistic, maybe both, um, a vampire. And, uh, and so, so, uh, and so, and then he becomes the, uh, really, he, he kind of becomes uh, the big bad for the rest of, of season two. So what are your thoughts on innocence? I, I absolutely love this one. I'm so happy to see it here. And, um, Buffy is a lot of the themes of Buffy. They're con- it's considered like a high school hell, like whatever metaphor, or whatever's going on in her vampire world is a metaphor for some high school experience. Right. And so this is, you know, losing your virginity and being so head over heels in love with someone, especially being young and not having the experience that, and then after you have sex, everything is completely different, which, which in, in some cases does happen. And I know that the show sometimes gets criticized for the metaphor being a little heavy handed, but I thought, okay, yeah, maybe it is heavy-handed, but most people, most of the time, it's a metaphor for, the guy just doesn't call you back. Right. He doesn't just go off and because you fucked him is on this killing spree. So I, <laughs> so for, for me, I was fine with it. And it really, it just, it just changed everything. And there's one particular conversation where, because there's also this crazy shit going on where Spike and Drusilla have resurrected this monster called the Judge who mm-hmm. wants to bring forth the apocalypse. So Buffy's having to deal with that and they actually wind up taking refuge at Angel's place and that's where they have sex and Buffy loses her virginity. And so she immediately has to, you know, she doesn't get the cuddle time. Well, Angel runs out and loses a soul. She doesn't get to have this post-coital romantic cuddle fest because she has to go out and save the world. But meanwhile, Angel's gone missing and she can't find him. And so she goes back to his place and she finds him and she doesn't know that he's lost his soul. So he just treats her like absolute shit. And she thinks it's her. And he criticizes her sexual performance. And in, in the same breath, he's saying that she was terrible, but he's also comparing her to a whore. And it's just, just imagining a 17-year-old girl who's, who's made love for the first time to the one person in the world you think you're going to love forever. And they just treat you this way. It was just it was so heartbreaking to watch. And then, and then the second half, when she kind of takes a breather and calms down, and she realizes this is someone I have to fight now, it led to one of the coolest fights in the Sunnydale Mall, which was, um, so she has to kill this thing called the Judge. And in the Giles's books, no weapon forged could take it down. And so she, well, how how do I kill him if if I can't, if any weapon's not going to do it? And then she realizes that, you know, that was a long time ago, and so with the help of Xander, um, they break into the, the military base because Sunnydale, this tiny ass town has a fully functional military base. And, and earlier in, in the, um, episode before this, it was kind of a two part of the episode surprise where it was Buffy's birthday. There's low, there's docks apparently in, in this tiny <laughs> town, but either way, so they, they go and they steal a fucking rocket launcher. And so they're in the mall and, you know, the judge is just like, you can't stop me, little girl. No weapon forge can stop me. And she's like, that was then. And then she just picks up this rocket launcher and says, <laughs> this is now, and shoots it at him. And he explodes everywhere. And it's so, it's, it's so good. So 
in addition to this very poignant character moment with Buffy and Angel and then Jealous and all that, we get the cool monster of the week, which I, you don't beat a rocket launcher. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we had still had the whole, you know, high school girl at the mall, but she's got a rocket launcher. And then, of course, she kind of fights with Angel and she has an opportunity where she, she's doing better than him in the fight and she could stake him, but she just can't do it because there's a part of her that still loves him. Mm-hmm. And, she, and it'll carry on to the next episode that we talk about, but he'll... Um, do terrible, terrible things, including murdering Jenny Callender. Oh, don't get me, don't get me crying! But oh <laughs> my god, that passion episode where he finds her in the roses. Oh my god, because he he's a pair. She's a paramour of Giles's, and oh my god, it, it's just it's it's such deep, heavy stuff, mm-hmm. and it, it's just exquisitely done. It really is, and like with Xander and his uh his GI Joe abilities, I always have mixed feelings about it because on the one hand. It came from a, the Halloween episode and everybody dressed up, but there was a spell that whatever they dressed up as, they sort of became that. So he dressed up as a as a, as a soldier and then he also, you know, embodied, you know, mentally and everything. He, he became a soldier completely. And then once the costume was gone, he had uh, echoes of, you know, this sort of soldier training behind him. And so... So on the one hand, you know, they, they like they milked that for all it was worth for, you know, for all seven seasons. So on the one hand, I completely appreciate the... Uh, the the continuity that they that they stuck with it went back to it, but I always had trouble sort of feeling like you know fuck I don't know that's it was a Halloween costume it it, it seems like not much to go by but <laughs> they they stuck to their guns and they milked it and they and it was they were very consistent and uh, and in this case and more than once in, in particular in that episode um, his, uh, his 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 military mindset that he got from his costume came to be and it was just every now and then when it was um, sort of needed he's like you know. I still have some uh, military uh, uh, memory, and I think for this episode, it's going to actually work out. That that happened a couple of times. And it's, I swear, sometime in like season six, season seven, they kind of call upon him to help. And he was saying that you know his knowledge was fading a little bit because that had happened like five years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I I kind of like that detail too. Mm-hmm. That absolutely, you know, it, it might be fresh in your mind for a season two. I mean, in in the buffy verse that halloween thing happened what three months before he broke in and stole the rocket launcher so i can understand that sure. but as he gets older it it fades so i i, I do like that detailing yeah okay <clears throat> so then that takes us to another episode in, in season two and it's this it's the season finale of season two called becoming part two so the last two episodes were uh uh, part one and part two. Uh, Joss has picked uh, becoming part two, the season two season finale, and uh, it says here in Entertainment Weekly that was capped off by this literally soul destroying episode in which Buffy sent Angel to hell. As he was sucked into the void, Willow's spell restored his humanity, but it was too late. The Slayer fled Sunnydale to the strains of Full of Grace, and so began the onslaught of Sarah McLaughlin weepers that continue to haunt us via sad puppy eyes to this day. Heightened the next hour when Angel played during Dawson's Creek season one finale, epic. So, uh, so what are your thoughts on becoming part two, which is the season finale of season two? Another fabulous one. This is the one where Buffy, every monster Buffy has fought since the beginning, it's been a no-brainer. It's, this is an evil creature. I kill them. Boom. But this is the first one where she had personal qualms about killing this person because. Like an innocent, she could not kill Angel because she was so in love with him. And then she was, so the second half of season two was all about her gearing up to be able to do what she needs to do, which is kill the man or vampire that she was in love with. And then, of course, there's this 
heartbreaking element to it where Willow decides to, you know, fight with magic because since Jenny Callender's passing, she's not only taken over teaching her classes, which only on TV, kids, but also, <laughs> right, like, yeah, let's just get a student to do it for free. Um, but also because Jenny Callender was a techno-pagan, so she, had, she was into the witchcraft, and Willow started to get into that too. And so, and that marks, you know, her first big spell, and, and Willow and witchcraft is huge here on out. And so Willow decided, you know, obviously she can't fight Angel, but maybe she can make him good again and stop him. So she tries to put the curse on Angel that originally was put on him where he, he was given a soul. And, of course, what happens is she's in the hospital because she gets attacked and she, and she makes the Scoobies bring her her stuff and she performs it. And it works, but not in time. Angel's already started, Angelus has already started to end the world. So Buffy, not only, instead of having to kill Angelus, she has to kill Angel, mm-hmm. the the man she loved, and she just got him back, but it's too late. And that's, I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can think of anything more heartbreaking than that, and especially with the Sarah McLaughlin sound, and oh my god, oh my god. My god, right. Shake, Shakespeare who? Yeah. God damn it. That, it just, just just listening to you recap that, it was, I was enjoying it as if I was watching it all over again. And uh, and honest to God, you know, I, I can't. And and sometimes I I will do it anyway, just because uh, to, to just because you know, so I, sometimes it's good to feel shit. But to, I can't listen to Sarah McLaughlin's "Full of Grace" without getting choked up. Oh my God! And Snail's uh, <laughs> the same way. Like if she hears it coming on, it's like uh, like she knows that she's about to get choked up because it's one hundred percent. Uh, forever and ever linked to uh to, to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and specifically when I think about it, um I, I I you know it's it's Buffy on the bus riding out of town, sees the sign you know uh, whatever goodbye Sunnydale, and uh, you know it's and she she did what she had to do she saved the world she she killed uh, she killed her love even though he was Angel again he had no idea what was about to happen or why it was happening when she was doing it, but she had to do it because if she didn't you know a bad shit was going to happen. So on the one hand, she did what she had to do, but then after it's done, you know, now she has to live with it, and she she can't be there anymore. So she gets on the bus and leaves town, and uh, nobody really knows where she is. And but uh, you know, figure well, you know, she'll she'll be back soon enough, probably. And in fact, once we get to the beginning of season three, it turns out that they they still don't know where she is, and it becomes a, a you know a, a whole a whole big thing. I was um, I, and also I, I couldn't stop thinking about uh, Giles and Miss Calendar. And how much I love in the in the episode, um, you're so much better titled than I am. But it's the one where uh, where where Angelus kills Miss Calendar. Passion. Thank you, Passion. And it's the end of that one, right? Where where Giles is angry and he goes to fight Angel and he's getting his ass kicked, and Buffy, you know, basically saves him and and he won't she won't let him fight Angel and and Giles is so fucking angry and they're having this passionate, angry, sad moment and it's so amazing and and, and heartbreaking and seeing Giles knowing that he can't. That he can't possibly survive a fight with Angel, but he doesn't care because he's so heartbroken. He's so mad at Buffy for not letting him, if nothing else, you know, die trying to, you know, you know, to, to, to avenge his oh, lady. God damn it! It's so goddamn good. Why? Why doesn't everybody watch this show? I don't know. People are crazy if they're not watching. Who it. in the crazy, hell? Crazy, I say. Who in the hell is left that's not watching the show and can't? I mean, listen. If if you can't already hear the passion in our voice, we can't fucking make this up. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. Can pulling. you imagine if we were that good that we just invent this whole <laughs> canon of a show? <laughs> and then people watch and they're like, that show's bullshit. And we're like, yeah, gotcha. We, we don't like it either, but no, 
And another aspect of becoming, which, I mean, obviously the Buffy and Angel stuff is front and center, but another crucial aspect of it is that uh, Buffy ends up uh, slaying a vampire in front of her mom, Joyce. Mm. And so there's no explanation for that. And so she has to come out as a vampire slayer and, and Joyce just lets her have it. I mean, like how, how would someone, I'm, I'm not a parent. I, I never will be, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm, imagine reacting to your kids saying, yeah, I risk my life every night to go fight monsters and all the stuff that Joyce has been put through with Buffy getting kicked out of school. And so, and I think it's, it's probably a, a metaphor for Absolutely. coming out to your parents as gay or, or as, as some, some aspect of your life that they might consider undesirable. And so Joyce's first reaction is to get angry and to tell, but and Buffy saying, well, I, I need to go save the world. And, she, and Joyce says, you know, if, if you leave, you're not allowed to come back. And so Buffy, not only did she just kill her love, but her mom basically kicked her out of the house. And, and that was very obvious to me in the heat of passion. And, and we know that Joyce is, is a very good mom. And mm-hmm. it was just, she, she was just put through the ringer and she obviously didn't mean it. But Buffy felt so alone in that moment that she, she really thought that Joyce did mean it. And so that's another reason why she took off. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, also, you know, speaking of metaphors, uh, if you're if you're a parent watching the show, I can only imagine how easily you can connect with Joyce in that scene when you find out that, that your kid is not the kid who you thought they were. And even even if it's not necessarily maybe a metaphor for a, a kid coming out as, as gay or transgender, maybe it's just finding out that, that your kid is a uh, shoplifting with his with his friends, or, or your kid is out, you know, went to a party when he told you that, uh, that he was going to be having a sleepover at his friend's house or whatever. And as a parent, you're like, "Who the fuck are you? When did you become this kid? I, I, you're, you're not who I thought you were." And so it's I think it would be so easy for a viewer to sympathize with Buffy or Joyce in either scene, whether you were the teenager or you're the parent. And again, just another testament to the many wonderful layers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that if all you ever did was see it as a fun fantasy sci-fi show about a vampire hunter, it would be 100% entertaining. But the fact that it gives so much more is why Liz and I get so excited talking about it. Uh, The next episode on the list comes from season three. It's the ninth episode of season three, and it's called The Wish. And so here's uh, what uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly says about The Wish. The first appearance of Anya, and as a slutty, psychotic willow. After seeing Xander and Zillow kiss the episode before, Cordelia wishes Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. Obviously, this was a terrible, terrible idea. And this is also one of my very, very favorite episodes ever, ever. I absolutely love the episode of The Wish um, for several reasons, not the least of which I am a huge, huge fan of anything that deals with an alternate reality, especially if it's sort of, you know, maybe like a one-off, we're not sticking with this, but sort of an alternate reality. I fucking love alternate reality stories. Uh, when I was a kid, Liz, there was a, uh, well, there's a comic book series. It still exists now, but I kind of discovered it as a kid. And it came out of a, out of the Marvel universe. And I don't know how much you are or care to be versed in comic books, but, you know, there's like Marvel and DC and, you know, there's others, but they're the big ones and they're also separate. So like, like Spider-Man is Marvel, Batman, Superman, they're DC, so their their paths don't cross. Uh, in the Marvel Universe, there was this really wonderful series of comic books called What If. It was What If dot dot dot. And so it was just for, just for one issue, one story, they would have an alternate reality. So like, for example, like Spider-Man, I don't know how much you know about Spider-Man, but you know that the general uh, mythos that everyone generally knows is uh, Peter Parker was bit by a radioactive spider right. and that gave him these, you know, Spider-Man powers. So an episode of what if it might be something like, you know, 
what if instead of Peter Parker, Liz Hersey was bit by the radioactive spider? Or what if instead of Peter Parker was bit by a radioactive cockroach? And it just sort of gives you this, just for one issue, just this one what if. I'm it, so sad you didn't end with just cock. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what if Peter Parker was, uh, was, uh, was spiked by a radioactive cock? And, uh, yeah, and then for, for, for 22 pages, he's <laughs> seeing what that world would look like. And so the, so the wish in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for me, very much goes along with, uh, with, that, uh, um, with that theme. So for one episode, they do enter an alternate reality, and it's so fucking good, and it's so fucking interesting, where you see all the characters you recognize, except you don't recognize them because they're completely different, because this reality has gone in a completely different direction. But I'll, I'll kind of let you touch on that stuff. Okay, so when I first saw this episode on the list, again, I love this episode. I think it's great. Um, any episode where Cordelia is kind of front and center, I enjoy because she's one of my favorites. But at first, I was thinking, hmm, like, the past three are very, very critical, pivotal episodes to the Buffy canon. And this one, well, yes, it's the first appearance of Anya, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. It's nothing really spills over into except for Vampire Willow comes back into another episode, which we'll talk about. Um, but I, I was thinking, why is this one on here? And then I looked at the list as a whole, and Joss Whedon, so brilliant, because it's not just, yes, there are episodes that are crucial to the plot, but he also put a couple in here that are crucial to character, mm-hmm. where may, maybe it's not the biggest episode where they fight the big bad or someone loses their virginity or something like that. But it's huge with character because we see that these people, one little thing, well, it's pretty big, but one aspect of their lives is different and they're all such different people. So I find, I find that very interesting. And I must say that seeing Willow as this vampire dominatrix, Oh my God. She's just clad in the skin tight leather outfit, just, you know, being a badass, like nobody's business. And so basically it's, if the master had, if Buffy never came to Sunnydale, the master, I'm not sure the details because the master needed to rise by killing Buffy. But somehow the master was able to rise, and San- Sunnydale is completely taken over by vampires. And there's a curfew for the kids and all this stuff. And Xander and Willow had got turned into vampires and were the basically kind of like the master's kids, his favorite kids. Mm-hmm. And so they would just go out and cause all this destruction. Of course, Angel was in Sunnydale because he set himself there because he thought Buffy was going to show up and he was going to help her. So obviously he can't fight alone. So he basically gets taken and put in this cage and he's Willow's plaything and she you know and he he's I think he's on a leash and and she's straddling him and burning him with matches and it it is it is so delicious to watch. It is just beautiful. That's great. And 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 Willow again you know vampire Willow where she's you know where she's like really sexy and a badass and and just super just everything everything about her is so wonderful and uh, really, it, it's such a departure from you know the, the the you know from the 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 bookish Willow in the in the in the normal universe, which is obviously you know by design. Um, but you know, for me, it, I mean, I, I I was already a fan of of Anison Halligan. I got her name totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> what, what what's your goddamn name? No, I, it's Allison Hannigan. Did it? Okay, I just it's like right. I said it, but I was like I I think I replaced a a vowel or something. I totally said her name wrong. Uh, Allison Hannigan. I think I called her Analyst. Um, <laughs> Anal Hannigan. Um, so the reason I'm a fan of Anal Hannigan, which is actually also uh, the name of Liz's favorite sexual position, it's uh, you know hashtag Anal Hannigan, is that uh, 
you know, you see her as sort of the, 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 the bookish, sheepish, nerdy, kind of shy, you know, Willow. And she's great at that. And she's so good that you almost feel like this is kind of who she is. But then when she's vampire Willow, it doesn't feel like she's putting on a character that doesn't fit. Like she completely embodies it. And this could have easily been her character for seven seasons. And uh, she would have been right there with Drusilla. And you never would have doubted that this is exactly who that was. And so... She's just so fucking good. I fucking love her. And and I don't know if you've seen um How I Met Your Mother. But oh I, yeah, I love How I Met Your Mother. And so I don't I every time I watch it, I I think like, you know, I I'm always just thinking like there's people who have no idea she was on Buffy and that just blows my mind. Like they think of her as the How I, you know, How I Met Your Mother. Lily. Girl. Yeah, and and she's great. I mean, she's 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 you know great with you know, with everything, and I'm also struck by and again because I feel like I'm like happy for these people who will never I'll never know in real life, but that um, she's had just like an astonishingly good career from you know the Buffy series, the American Pie film series, from How I Met Your Mother. Uh, she's never really been out of work, and she's been a part of huge franchises. I know. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, after Buffy, she was never really able to strike gold with it. She had a couple of TV shows that she was the star of. Um, she was the star of a CW show called Ringer about these twins and this mystery. And I did watch it and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Not not nearly on the level of Buffy, but it was, it was just fun pulp entertainment. And that didn't last past the season. And then a couple years ago, she was on this sitcom called The Crazy Ones with the late Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember hearing about And everyone thought it was going to be terrible. It's It's this father daughter at this ad agency or whatever and apparently it got decent reviews but unfortunately now nowadays it being a decent sitcom doesn't cut it anymore because there's so there's so much that's great that yeah. being good just it's it's not good enough and so so Sarah Michelle got she hadn't been able to strike gold with the tv show so I don't I don't know if she's doing the baking because the tv didn't work out or it's just a new passion for her but yeah Alison Hannigan her and David Boreanaz, who's still, Absolutely. I think Bones is still on. Yeah. It's yeah. been on the air for like 11 years or something. Yeah. And, and, and really, so- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel like with with uh, with, uh, with David Boreanaz too, because Buffy and Angel kind of get swallowed together in the same universe, it's sometimes easy to forget that it was a separate series. So he was a part of Buffy, starred in Angel, stars in Bones, that for, you know, for the better part of all really well, like two decades, he's never been off of TV and he's never really not been on a hit. And a fun fact about David Boreanaz is that we share a birthday. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, May 16th. May 16th. Well, that's, a great day. That's coming up. That's uh, that's that's less, that's, uh, well, what's that? A <laughs> Not month, really. A month and a half away. Of, you know, of, of this thing, well, you know, of course, this is, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're in April now, so we're, we're yeah, pretty close true. to it. Yeah, that's Okay. Um, all right, so the, the next episode on the list, it's uh, the 16th episode of season three, Doppelgangland, which is a uh, which is a sort of an extension of a, of the previous one. Uh, Entertainment Weekly doesn't say a lot about it. It just says obviously Whedon has a thing for Vampy Willow. He wrote this episode specifically for her. I do remember this one. I, I remember this one, and somehow or another, I forget the how it happened. So hopefully you can help me out with this. But but Vampire Willow finds herself in the normal reality in the in the, in the normal reality that the Buffy universe takes place in. Um, and then, you know, uh, it's, uh, at one point also comes face to face with, you know, the, the sheepish, you know, future witch willow that, that we all know. Um, but if you can help help remind me some details about this episode, I would be thrilled. Okay. Well, this is actually my favorite episode of the entire series. My favorite episode. Oh, wow. Because I, so I'm so happy to see it on this list. Because Willow, I, as much as I love the characters, especially, you know, Cordelia, Spike, Giles, all of them really, Willow is by far my favorite because I, I feel like I just relate to her the most 
mm-hmm. as a fellow nerd. And so this episode, season three, it's their last year of high school. And this is Willow's growing up episode where she really grows up. And Xander also gets one too in season three. It's called the Zeppo. It's not on this list, but it's another one of my favorites right. where he grows up. And this one, it starts off and Willow, she even, she's come so far from season one, you know, this little meek girl who's scared of Cordelia and wears horrendous clothes. I mean, she doesn't dress much better now, but, <laughs> um, but just, just this sheepish computer nerd to someone who, you know, she's dating this werewolf musician, Oz. She's, she's learning witchcraft and doing pretty well at it. She, she's, you know, helping in her own way fight these forces of darkness but at the beginning of the episode, she's called into the principal's office with this douchey jock guy named Percy. And Snyder basically strong arms her into tutoring this kid. And he, after they're at the principal's office, Percy's like, so basically the deal is you're my bitch and I'm, I'm just going to get you to do all my homework for me. And w- Willow is just shocked. And I think a big part of that is because she hasn't felt like this nerd who gets walked all over for a long time, but she hasn't really had to confront you know, the high school evils so much, right? Because she's had Oz and, and she has this group of friends. And here she is just relegated to this nerd she once was. And then, you know, Oz didn't tell her that he went on this away gig because he didn't think she wanted to miss school. And then, you know, Xander calls her old reliable and, and she's just kind of in a rut. And then on, meanwhile, Anya, she, sorry, I'm just blathering. but um, <laughs> No, keep going. Anya has, after this, the Wish episode, when Giles in the alternate reality is able to reverse Anya's spell, Anya gets fired as a vengeance demon and she gets made mortal. So she's just a, a student uh, for the first time in over a thousand years. She, she's a, a human teenager and she wants her powers back. And so she kind of hits up Willow because she hears that Willow dabbles in magic. And so Willow's had this terrible day of being walked all over and being called reliable. And someone wants her help, not for homework, but for casting a spell. So she's only too happy to help, and Anya get, feeds her this bullshit line about, oh, I lost this necklace or something, and I need to get it back. And then Willow kind of sees this alternate reality of destruction, and she, you know, says no way and leaves. But somehow the spells kind of kind of went wonky because the necklace was in that reality, and Vampire Willow's brought forth and causes all this destruction. And through this, at one point, they, they catch her, and Willow dresses up in her clothes. And so Willow has to act as this dominating badass vampire and through that she kind of learns that you know i i can be this way to an extent and it's not bad and i it make it commands respect from people and it's it's such a badass episode and so great to see her back in that dominatrix outfit yeah absolutely and lest anybody uh, if anybody had to be convinced that that was your favorite episode i think you just proved it well thank you <laughs> Uh, so, so the next episode on the list. Oh, can is, I just say real quick? Go for it, please. No, 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 please listen. It's your I, show. It's well, your show. And because I, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I hate bullies so much. I love seeing them get punished. So, Vampire Willow, unbeknownst to regular Willow, is brought back, and she goes to the Bronze because in her world, the Bronze was Vampire Central. Mm-hmm. They they had taken over, and that was basically their headquarters. She goes there, and it's, it's just regular teens having fun, and she's so disgusted, and Percy, the douchey jock, kind of comes up to her, and he's like, hey, you're supposed to be doing my homework, and she grabs him by the neck and chucks him across the pool table, and <laughs> just basically starts to beat the crap out of him, and he gets saved by Xander. And so, of course, 
you know, once they send Vampire Willow back and, and everything's all good, Percy has no idea what happened. So he thinks that Willow just decided to dress like a dominatrix and beat the crap out of him. And so at, in the end, regular Willow's feeling all guilty about, you know, this destruction that this creature wearing her face caused. And then Percy kind of comes up to her and he gives her all his perfectly done homework and he gives her an apple. And she's like, okay, I'm okay with it. And I, I fucking loved it. That I just I love when a bully gets punished. And really, you know what? Don't fuck with nerds, bitches. So I, that's another reason why it's my favorite episode. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> no, that was great. And you know what? More more than once in Buffy, uh, there there are there, there is the moment of uh, you know don't fuck with nerds. Nerds very often uh, kind of get the get their justice throughout the, the the Buffy the Buffy run. So the next episode on the list is arguably my my favorite episode, and it, it's it's very much heralded as. Possibly the the most popular episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I loved it before I actually knew that. It's the tenth episode of season four, and it's the episode called Hush. And uh, so here's here's what uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly says about Hush: the only one of Buffy's eps to be nominated for a writing Emmy, and its most powerful moments featured barely a single word of dialogue. What did it have? Heart snatching, voice snatching ghouls called the gentlemen, and proof that the Scoobies didn't need their snappy repartee to get down to business, though we were more than happy to have their one liners back the next week. So, so Hush, I mean, it's great for several reasons, not the least of which it was listed right here, where it's an episode that's, um, it's almost entirely without dialogue. It's not unlike a silent movie, which was kind of what they were going for, telling a story without dialogue and still telling it in a very compelling, exciting, thrilling manner uh the first time i saw hush it was it was early in my my discovery of buffy the vampire slayer it was a particular thanksgiving in the early 2000s we'll call it 2002 2003 something like that it was thanksgiving and um i think fx was doing a, a buffy marathon and so they i think fans had voted on their favorite episodes and then for basically all day they were just playing them and so chanel we hadn't seen a lot of them so we were just devouring all these great episodes and so hush was it was number one on the list, but they were playing them chronologically, so it didn't play last. And um, I, I was just, I, I loved it so much. I was blown away by it so much. Uh, the gentlemen are possibly the, the most genuinely terrifying uh, characters to come out of a, out of the Buffy universe. And um, I've actually, I, when I was, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was teaching English as a, as a college professor, there were times where, especially if it was around Halloween, and there was sort of a down period. I would show Hush to to my students. Many of many of them having never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and by and large, not only did they love it, but they were also you know appropriately terrified by the gentleman, which always made me feel good that it wasn't just in my head that this episode can translate to uh to people who've never seen Buffy. And I and I have also shown it to people where. If I wanted to get somebody excited about Buffy, rather than starting season one, I, I almost always invariably show them Hush. And, and I'll give it the appropriate context because it's like it's season four. So I kind of tell them what they need to know about, say, season four or who's Riley or what's the what's what's the tension between he and Buffy. But then beyond that, the episode really does kind of um, stand on its own. And it's so fucking wonderful. And if you twisted my arm, it might very well be at, at, the, at the top of, of my Buffy list. But uh, what are your thoughts on Hush? It, it's yeah one of my favorites for sure and i think it's one of the ones where it just it became this iconic episode like iconic piece of tv in and of itself mm-hmm. because again like with the wish it's not really that crucial to the buffy canon um the only major thing that really happens plot wise that's really important is buffy 
it, she's been dating Riley for a little bit, and this is the episode where he finds out that she's a vampire slayer. Mm-hmm. That that's all that that's really happens. But it's it's just it's so well done. And I know that the show is about monsters, but rarely are you like actually scared watching Buffy uh-huh. the Vampire Slayer. With the gentleman, I was <clears throat> petrified. It, it, it's a scary one to watch. I don't like watching it, you know, at night alone. <laughs> it, it's so scary. And uh, a fact about it is that the actors that they got to play the gentleman are actual professional mimes. So they know how to move in this fluid, ethereal, creepy way, mm-hmm. whereas regular actors might not. And it's a, I, I think for a lot of people, particularly for me, it's a, I don't have nightmares much, but when I do, I can never scream. So that the whole concept of someone ripping your heart out while you're fully awake and you can't scream or do anything, that's just, it's a, never mind how creepy the gentlemen are. That, that's so terrifying. Yeah, and actually you just reminded me that for anybody who maybe doesn't know what we're talking about in this episode, the gentleman, um, through some sort of, you know, unexplained magic, which you don't really, it doesn't have to be explained, you just accept it, is they steal all the voices of everybody in Sunnydale so nobody can talk. And um, and which not only can't they talk, but they can't make noises. So then if the gentlemen turn up in your bedroom at night to literally cut your heart out and kill you, you can't scream for your life. So it's just you're just all you can do is sit there and take it and you can't make noise. And it's fucking it's terrifying. And then also beyond that, because Buffy almost always goes deeper than what's on the surface. It's primarily thematically, it's an episode about communication and how often we don't communicate. And in this case, it's Buffy and Riley, that there's so much about themselves that they haven't shared and communicated with, with one another. And, uh, and that, that they learn more about each other when they, when they can't communicate with words. It's when he finds out she's a vampire slayer. She finds out he's part of this subversive military group that fights demons. And then at the very end of the episode, which I fucking love every time, oh it's so beautifully God. done. They sit across the across a, you know, her door. She's on a bed. He's on a bed. They're in a dorm room. They have their voices back. And they can't say anything to each other. It's it's so brilliant. And typical Buffy. I love when there's a little bit of the comedy. And so they, they have a bit of um, funny moments where Anya is just... Like, they're in the middle of a Scooby meeting. And Anya, who's just joined the group and she's just started dating Xander, gestures to, her, to him that she wants to bone using the universal uh, finger in the circle. And that was just hilarious. And then there's another <laughs> part where... Um, Giles does this old-fashioned slideshow presentation at, at the university about, you know, who the gentlemen are and all this. And, and he's just telling the Scoobies because he can't talk. And at one point, Buffy wants to know how they kill him. And so she makes a motion like it's supposed to be a steak, but it looks like he's given, like, the world's <laughs> best fucking hand job. And it's, it's just so brilliant. So it, it's such a dramatically good episode, but it's comedically well done as well. And it's... It, has thoroughly earned it. Yeah. And like ev- everything good that you can say about Buffy exists in the episode. Hush. Um, the, the next one on the list is also from season four. And this is uh, the episode 22. So this is, this is the, the season finale of, of, uh, of season four, but it's, but it's, but it's, uh, and we'll talk about it in a second. What's interesting about it is it's not the, the season in terms of like the main, the primary story arc is, is um, resolved in episode 21 of season four and episode 22 it almost exists in, it, in its own world which we'll talk about in a second so here's what entertainment weekly has to say about this episode called restless whedon's more experimental episodes the season four finale skimped on the slaying in favor of surreality 
surreality. I don't think I've ever seen surreal in that in that way before. <laughs> it took me a second to figure out how to say it. Each of the main characters traveled through a dreamlike state that hinted at what was in store for season five. Most notably, the introduction of Buffy's suddenly their sister Dawn. And uh, as far as season four goes, I kind of feel like uh, as, as far as Buffy fans go, uh, I'm one of maybe one of the few fans who genuinely, truly loved season four. I think sometimes it gets um, kicked around a little bit. Uh, and also, this the, the season finale of season four, I absolutely fucking loved it. I, I usually refer to it as, uh, as, as, as the David Lynch episode of Buffy the Vampire <laughs> Slayer. And, uh, and everything about it, it's surreal and it's weird and it doesn't have a straightforward narrative. And it's, it's kind of like this, this weird, I don't, I, weird fever dream-ish thing. But for me, and, and again, it's one of these episodes of, of anything, but like when I watch it, I completely love it. And if somebody else watches it and they don't get it, like I'm not going to argue with them. I was like, I, that's cool. I, I, I can see what you wouldn't get about this one. But for, for me, however my brain is wired, this episode speaks to me and I fucking love it. What do you think? I love it too. And what's interesting is when I watched it as a teenager, I hated this episode. <laughs> I hated, I didn't like that it just went completely off the rails with how Buffy normally is. I thought it should have ended with Adam being killed. He was the big bad in season four. And and this there's just like this random dream episode. And great, there's foreshadowing for this character that I'm going to end up hating, even though I actually <laughs> kind of like her now. Um, I, I did not like it. And so because I was so irked, by it just deviating from the traditional Buffy season finale formula. I don't think I really gave it credit for what it was and watched it in its own right. But now going back and watching them for my blog, I, I totally love this episode. And again, this is one of the ones where other than, you know, the this foreshadowing of Dawn showing up, it doesn't really have a lot of impact on the Buffyverse. But it's very much a character piece because no, you don't get deeper character than in someone's dreams mm -hmm. and particularly with willow and xander th their fears and insecurities dating back to season one of high school where willow feels like she'll always be the nerd there's one scene where she's in front of the class dressed up like old willow and there's you know oz and, and tara and, and everyone and they're all she's giving her book report on like tom sawyer and they're all like laughing at her and not paying attention and then xander huts one my favorite scene of the whole episode is where Xander, he's dressed up like this commando, this military guy, because that's when he feels the most confident is uh -huh. when he can use his military abilities. And and he somehow Principal Snyder is like this wounded commander, and he's basically dying. And he tells Xander, yeah, you're, you're the whipping boy, and you will always be the whipping boy. And that's Xander's biggest fear is that in you know this world that he's in with witches and the Slayer and Watchers, that he, he's just always this little bitch who can't do anything. And it, it's very heartbreaking. And immediately after that, he's in his basement with his dad just reading him the riot act. And, oh, my God, it, it's such a poignant episode. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so good and so creative. And, and for what it is, it's just so spot on. And, and I really, again, it's, it's sort of a, uh, it, it, I think a little bit daring as you kind of referenced that, it, not only does it get away from the the general Buffy formula, but really just uh, television television formula, where if you do have uh, you know the, a big bad who who exists throughout the the full arc of a series, then uh, you you generally get the resolution of that big bad in the in the season finale. In this case, they took care of it in the episode before and completely reserved the last episode for something sort of strange and experimental that had general for, for the most part no 
real connection to what happened before, except for the fact that the way that they beat Adam is there was a spell and it kind of fucked with their heads. And, you know, there was enough of a connection that it was still part of it, but it could have easily just been some strange one-off episode that they could have plugged into any any season of Buffy and it would have, it would have probably worked, uh, you know, you know, just as well. Now, the next episode on the list, we'll see if I can get through this one without crying. Oh, my uh, God. This, it's, it's so fucking good and so heartbreaking. It's called The Body. It's the 16th episode of season five. And uh, well, I'll, I'll just I'll read what Entertainment Weekly has, and we'll just we'll we'll, we'll talk about it because I suspect we both have a lot of thoughts on it. So you'd think Buffy would be desensitized to death. Then it struck home: the shocking, non-violent death of Joyce Summer hit Buffy harder than anything else on the series. Paralyzed, she crumpled into a ball on the floor of their home. Heartbreaking. So the body. It's it's an episode where. Buffy's mom dies and and it's it's not she doesn't get killed by a demon there's no there's no drama or anything there's nothing shady about her death she just uh she had an ailment and she died and Buffy came home one day and uh, she sees her mom you know she she sees her mom dead on the couch and it's you know you know every every kid's worst fear is you know is uh, dealing with the death of a parent. And there's so many amazing things about this episode. I'm going to let you talk for a second so I can, uh, you know, keep myself from uh, getting choked up. But, uh, but amongst other things, this episode, with the exception of maybe the last five minutes, has nothing to do with demons or vampires or witchcraft. And it's just probably the most human episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Buffy her f- and her friends dealing with the death of this very important person in all of their lives and it, it, almost by default because you know just for the sake of it being a, a you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer they bring in a, a monster in the last five minutes um but really it could I, I could have gone the whole episode even without that monster um so I have plenty of thoughts but what, what are your thoughts on the body it, it's it's so heartbreaking and and just so well done I feel like I say like you could do a drinking game with how often I've said brilliant, <laughs> but it, it is brilliant. And one stylistic element of this, this episode that I love is that they chose not to have any music whatsoever. Normally there's a little bit of a score and there's, you know, this sweeping action-y music during the fight scenes, but there's no music to be found. So you like, and it kind of guides you on how to feel a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so with this, you are just left alone with these characters and their emotions and it's 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 just it's raw and it's just so hard to get through. I mean, as brilliant as this is, sometimes I'll I'll throw Buffy on in the background or just decide to watch some of my favorite episodes. I I don't wa- pick this one um, unless it's you know it came up for when I did my blog or I, I'm doing a proper rewatch just because it is it's so heartbreaking. It really is, and how each of the characters deal with death. Mm-hmm. Is, is just out of this world. And I think the one that resonates with most people is Anya. Absolutely. Because she she hasn't been a... She's been a demon for most of her life, and she's only been a human for the past couple of years. So it's normally it's done for comedic effect that she, she just basically says what she wants without ever giving thought to anyone's feelings, and she's a little bit socially awkward in that aspect of um, how she behaves. And so the Scoobies are getting ready to go meet Buffy and Dawn at the morgue. And she's just asking all these inappropriate questions. Like, well, will we touch the body? Will we see the body? And it's just rubbing salt on everyone's wounds of trying to process this death. And they kind of, you know, snap at her a little bit because it's, it's enough. And, and she just says, you know, well, but no, no one's telling me why this is happening. And, it, and so for her, I think that if you were to go with the metaphor, it'd be like if the, the kid who deals with death for the first time, 
because they haven't been accustomed to these traditions of appropriate behavior when someone passes away. So, so they'll say things that they're thinking, not meaning to hurt anybody, but ju- just they, they want to know, like they've never seen a dead body and, and there is this kind of newness to it. So, it, oh my God, it's, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> the, the, the scene with Anya is possibly, arguably, my favorite single scene in the entire seven season run of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for all the reasons you just explained. Because Anya, she's this great character. Very often her character is played for comedy. She's a fish out of water. She's She looks human, but she's not. She's really learning how to be human for the first time. And so often it, it is played for comedy. But in this moment... You know, she's also, you know, gotten to know Buffy's mother. She's also part of this Scooby gang. And, you know, this, you know, this, this person is dead and they're gone. And it's not that she's never experienced death as, as a demon, but as a human, it's something completely different. And then as, as she's, as she's, you know, uh, trying to explain, uh, explain to, to the Scooby gang in, in her own way, you know, she's not being an asshole. She's, she's, she's not trying to, she's not trying to upset them. She has these very genuine questions about death because she, she doesn't understand it. And it and it and it and it resonates so deeply with, with uh, I, I re- really with 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 anybody with with me when, you know when I, I you know just just the the thought of anybody, I love dying it, it it's heartbreaking and or when somebody does die and and, and, I, and I have to deal with it it's obviously heartbreaking, and so so when so when I, when Anya's talking in her own very sort of childlike way, she's kind of expressing these really huge human philosophical ideas of you know this is happening and it makes me sad and I don't know why this has to happen and nobody will explain this to me, which in so many ways, it's kind of sort of, it's kind of sort of what, what, what life is about, that there's so many crazy things that happen and so many of those things that happen are really shitty. And, you know, uh, unless maybe you have some, you know, religious foundation that helps, uh, you know, explain the world to you, you just, you, you just accept that really bad, scary things happen sometimes and you don't know why and you don't know how to wrap your head around it. And then beyond all that, uh, you know, the, her, her name escapes me at the moment, but the actress, she's so fucking good in that goddamn scene. Field. Thank you. Oh, I love her so much. She had, I don't know if she still does it, but she had like this, uh, YouTube series where she would just, uh, you know, just, just talk for five or 10 minutes and she's fucking hilarious and compelling. Like it's, uh, oh, I had no idea. yeah, yeah. You should look it up. She's great. It's just like in her living room, turns on her computer and she's just talks about whatever she was. She's really fucking great. Um, uh, so I just, I, I love that episode so much. And even though it's, uh, you know, like a few months ago, you and I, we did this uh, Oscar episode and we were talking about the nominees. And one of the things that we talked about was that, uh, especially with movies, it's such a difficult tightrope to, to walk where the, the subject matter of a story can be dark and depressing and, and very difficult to watch. But occasionally in the hands of a good filmmaker, they can take a, a difficult subject and still find a way to, in its own way, make it entertaining. And so, so this episode of Buffy very much lines up with that where, you know, that the whole center of the episode is our protagonist has lost her, her mom and her dad's not around. He's alive. But he's not part of her life. So really her mom is the only parent in her life. If you don't count the surrogate, you know, Giles, it, it, it's her mom. So when she died, it's like, you know, her, her connection to this very important dolphin in her life, um, it is gone and she now has to figure out you know how to how to live without her and it's so sad and human and yet this episode still finds a way to be compelling and entertaining it still finds you know humor but ultimately deals with it oh goddamn it's so goddamn good and one other notable um thing about this episode is that it's the first time that willow and tara share an on-screen kiss 
oh, is that in this one? I don't think I realized that. Yeah, um, because they had been a couple. Actually, her um, Amber Benson as Tara. Tara first appeared on Hush because um, she was in this Wicca group. And that's right. And, um, in, in the university, that, that that was just basically a bunch of hippie girls who wanted to, you know, make candles and have big sales. And Willow and Tara thought this whole thing was bullshit because they were actually serious about it and that's how they formed their bond that would later lead to this relationship and this is back in i think 2001 this aired so having gay couples in on shows was not as common as it is now mm-hmm. and cer- certainly a kiss was controversy i remember some of my favorite teen shows there was talk of that the networks wouldn't let them do it wouldn't let them have a kiss because because it was we were just living in different times then mm-hmm. and so with this kiss it wasn't this big oh it's the gay couple who's kissing it's willow is just beside herself and willow she's behaving like how i would when someone dies which is how do i act the most appropriate way possible and she's freaking out about which outfit to wear because she doesn't want to offend anyone like as if anyone would give give a shit if she showed up in a chicken suit right <laughs> but but so she, she's freaking out and she and she's just working herself up into this sad hysterical state and tara just runs to her and just kisses her and it's so loving and comforting that you don't realize like oh it's the first gay kiss Buffy the vampire there has ever had it, it's just it's this loving moment just between two people and it's oh my god it's so it's in that way it's significant too yeah okay oh, it's 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 so good again I'm gonna go back to possibly the theme of this of this episode is if you don't watch and love Buffy what what are you waiting for I I, I don't know how anybody can't love the show. I accept that those people exist, but I just don't know how they exist in the same... I, I don't know how you can ex- exist in the same universe as Buffy and not fall in love with this show. I love it so much. Um, so there's only two episodes left on Joss Whedon's list. Uh, the next one is uh, almost almost pure joy and, and, and easily uh, one of my very favorites. It's Once More with Feeling. Uh, it's, it's the seventh episode of season six called Once More with Feeling. But uh, I, and I think probably many, if not most Buffy fans, simply simply call it the musical episode. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Entertainment Weekly doesn't have anything useful to offer here. They just say, I've got a theory, which is a, a play, it was a, an allusion to one of the songs in the in the musical episode. I've got a theory, it was the bunnies that made this one of Whedon's faves. means absolutely nothing, Entertainment Weekly, you failed there, you're absolutely useless, but Liz and I will pick <laughs> up the slack. So the musical episode, it's so wonderful for just a million different reasons, not the least of which it's a musical episode in the middle of a show that's the furthest thing away from a musical, but it comes from Joss Whedon's genuine love of um, of Broadway musicals. And uh, and so um, so he wanted to do a musical episode of Buffy and then found out that uh, at least a few of the, the actors on the show actually have musical backgrounds and they could they could pull it off. And, um, and I, I remember before I got into the show, but hearing about the musical episode and seeing commercials for it and thinking, that's weird. Why would you reason? Why would you do that? But then once you actually watch the show and you get into it, one of the great things about it is within, within this Buffy universe, uh, I, I love the way that they can, they can justify anything with, 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 with magic or demons or spells and anything, it becomes, anything becomes possible. And so in this case, it's, you know, the, all the characters are breaking into, you know, musical numbers, but it's because there's been this musical demon that's been conjured up. Uh, I, I think his name is Sweet, uh, something like that. I don't know if his name is ever mentioned in the episode, but I think like yes, uh, it's Sweet. No, it's Sweet, and so uh, and so you know because he's been conjured up, the whole town of uh, Sunnydale, and I don't know if it ex- expands beyond that, but everybody breaks into these musical numbers, so they find a way to justify it within the Buffy universe. 
but then it's this really fun, joyful episode with certain, you know, dark undertones that that, that kind of uh, come out uh, at the end of the episode. Um, and it's very similar to to the episode Hush. Um, this is another theme that uh, that uh, you know Joss Whedon goes back to, which is the theme of communication, where all the characters have something. They have maybe a secret. They have something important that they're not sharing with the ones that they love. But when they break out into, into musical numbers, they can't. They can't. Uh, they have no control over the information that comes out in song. And so, generally, through through these songs, they're sharing something or saying something that they don't actually want the you know some of the some of the other characters to to know about. So, um, I, th- this is an episode where very similar to uh, uh, the Doctor Horrible sing along blog, where just on a random morning, just just for the sake of starting the morning with pure joy, I'll just put on once more with feeling. So, what are your thoughts on this episode? Oh, I, I love this episode so much. Um, I just watched it recently for my blog. I'm about halfway into season six. So it was only, you know, three or four weeks ago that I, I reviewed once more with feeling. And I I remember watching it and just being blown away. I bought the soundtrack. I have that was a regular on my disc man back in the day. And um, and then I hadn't done a rewatch for a long time until I started my blog. So when I was going to watch this, I was thinking, you know, is this really overrated? Because I hadn't watched it in so long. Is it just great because it's it's niche and it's the musical episode? And no, it's great. I mean, even they're so talented where even if it was just a throwaway nothing episode, it would still be fantastic. But it's so crucial to the plot. It really kicks things mm-hmm into what what will be the rest of the season. Because um, Joss Whedon wasn't as heavily involved with season six as with uh, the previous seasons because he went over to Angel to, I think, kind of bump the ratings up there. So he left it in the hands of Marty Noxon, one of the head writers, who I think she did a fantastic job. I know season six gets a lot of flack, but I, I love it. Yeah, me too. And, and, but this is the one that Joss Whedon came back for. And it's so crucial because... At the end of season five, Buffy sacrificed herself to save the world from from it from hell being brought forth. She, you know, jumped into this portal and, and died. Her her body hit the ground and she just died. And then Willow, especially, but some of the other Scoobies thought that Buffy had, you know, jumped into this hell dimension and that she was just being tormented. So they they resurrected Buffy only to that Buffy reveals to Spike that she was actually in heaven. And so she she was ripped out of heaven by her mm-hmm. friends. And it was this big thing where she says to Spike, they can never know. I'm never telling them. And so, of course, because of this spell, she can't help it. And so she sings it to them. And they realize just what they've done, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God. And just and just the level of talent amongst these people is, is just out of this world. I think Amber Benson uh, as Tara is one of the ones who's recognized the most. Because she has this quiet voice and she's this quiet character and very sweet and then when she sings the song about how in love with willow she is it, it and it's it's so it's beautiful and she's dressed like this disney princess in this beautiful yellow dress and and it leads into like they're out in the park together and it's all very fairy tale-esque but then they wind up going to the bedroom and the things she's singing are so sexual mm-hmm. like i oh my god it's just <laughs> it has everything this episode everything yeah this episode once more with feeling along with the episode hush uh on more than one occasion when like if i if i'm trying to convert a non-buffy watcher uh, i'll usually do a double feature of hush and once more with feeling uh and, I, and i've done that before and and i've gotten you know i don't know if i've gotten a 
people all the way over, but they've definitely walked away with a with a different appreciation for the show. And it's and it gets it's these two shows that um you know, you can watch out of context. You know, they they might need a little bit of uh, contextualizing just for the sake of what where what's happening at this point in the series. But I like you can still show them to somebody and say, you know, when the show's at its best, it can do this. And this is fucking uh, amazing. So there's uh, one more episode on uh, Joss Whedon's top 10 list. And, you know, for all we know, if uh, if he got asked for his list tomorrow, he might have a different 10 episodes. But this is the least, uh, the list that Entertainment Weekly got. And this is the, the last episode in chronological order. It's episode 7 of season 7, and it's called Conversations with Dead People. So here's what Entertainment Weekly had to say about this. Buffy, Don, and Willow are all visited by ghosts from their pasts. Or are they? This real-time episode was a series first and got the heart of Buffy's deeply conflicted psychology in the final season. I'm certain I'm certainly not going to argue with the man who created the Buffyverse. Each of these episodes deserves its place on this list. Happily, some of my favorite characters are featured, including Oz, Faith, and Spike, not to mention the hilariously inept nerd trifecta of Warren, Andrew, and Jonathan. Jonathan was, of course, played by Danny Strong, who has become a big deal writer of films like Recount and Game Changer, so apparently he was even doing that before we were talking about uh, Empire and the the Butler. That's me talking about the writer here. (laughs) Uh, Even more happily, the episodes are noticeably light on Don and Riley. Oh, that's not nice, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Well, I refer to Riley in my blog as Iowa Melba Toast. (laughs) He's a very sweet character and, and just completely getting away from conversations with dead people. Riley, I like him a lot. As a character, I hate him as Buffy's boyfriend because he's so wrong for her from mm. the get-go. And so that's my thought on Riley. And with Dawn, I hated her when I first watched the series because it's, you know, you love these characters and the dynamic. And then there's this bratty little kid thrown in that wasn't there before. And you're like, what the fuck? And she is kind of annoying at the beginning. But with this rewatch, I, you know, I swallowed the pill. It's like, guess what? You know, she's here. She's here. There's, there's a, you, you can't hating her and hating her is not going to make her go away so once i accepted that she was there and the first episode where she's really she is such a brat so that doesn't help but then once you get into it she's actually a pretty fantastic character and i I keep waiting to get annoyed by her again and reminded of why i hate her and it hasn't happened yet and if anything where i'm at in the series right now in the middle of season six i I feel sorry for her and she's a very sympathetic character yeah yeah i love don Don and riley like they're both <clears throat> they're 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 both good characters. They're fine. They 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 take a beating from uh from Buffy fans, but but I think uh, if if every Buffy fan who who shits on them looks deep within their soul, they know that the, that they've you know in one way or another have earned their their place in the Buffyverse. But let's talk about conversations with dead people. Now I um this is an episode that I up until I saw it on the list just now, pretty much completely forgot it existed. If it's the episode that I think it is. Uh, then I definitely love it if I if I'm remembering it correctly. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to let you take the the wheel on this one. And, and as you talk about it, um, I, I should remember more and more uh, what what's happening in this episode. But go ahead and talk about it if you will. Yeah, I I remember this was this is a very character heavy episode. So again, not necessarily super crucial to the Buffyverse, but uh, very very much about their characters. And it is kind of crucial because the the big bad in season seven is um, the first, the first evil, which is, it's not a tangible monster that Buffy can kill, like, 
um, like the master or someone like that. And it, it, it appears, it materializes in basically the ghosts of dead people. So it could be, you know, vampires or people in your past or whatever, which can, and there's been a lot of dead people in Buffy. <laughs> so that can be very poignant and disturbing. And so uh, Buffy, Don, and Willow, they're all, you know, separated. Buffy's out patrolling, Willow's studying at the library, and, and Don's at home. And Buffy is um, fighting. This, she's waiting for this vampire to rise and it's someone she went to high school with and um and they wind up talking and catching it and she winds up just unloading because you know the idea is you know sometimes you'll tell a stranger something deep within yourself that you would never reveal to your loved ones about how she feels as a slayer and how she feels so bad that sometimes she does feel better than the rest of the scoobies and willow's visited by this ghost who um uh, of this girl who went to school with Dawn and, and had just died in a past episode. And she was basically saying, oh, I'm, you know, representing Tara and she can't come see you because of what you did. Because Will just went berserk with magic and, and killed people at the end of season six. And, and basically the first reveals itself because it kind of fucks up because Willow knows if there's something Willow knows it's Tara. And so basically because Willow is this powerful witch and she's kind of learning instead of going off magic cold Turkey, like in the end of season six, she's learning to harness her magic where she only uses pure good magic instead of tapping into the black arts. So she's actually just as strong as Buffy when it comes to fighting the forces of darkness and so this demon's saying, oh, you know, Tara wants you to come see her. And she's basically encouraging Willow to kill herself. And as soon as she says that, Willow's like, no, 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 no. And then the first reveals itself. So it's, it's very, very character heavy because it deals with Willow's guilt and Buffy's guilt. And um, Dawn's visited by Joyce. And um, Dawn's at the house. And it's very much a traditional poltergeist haunting where, you know, the house is basically trying to keep Dawn from talking to her mother, which is, I think it's basically trying to save her, but really it's attacking her. And so you realize the strength of Dawn because she's able to, you know, cast out this demon and, and talk to her mom. And it's oh, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The more you talked about it, I know exactly what episode this is. And I, I do very much love this episode an awful lot. And, and, and it does set up the rest of season seven as, you know, as the, uh, as, as 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 the as the first the first true evil is revealed as a is the is the big bad of of the episode and, and as you said um is not a it's not a, a tangible thing but it's it's almost like this larger metaphorical uh there is evil in the world in, in a large sense and it's all going to be concentrated uh in, in in episode 7 and uh and uh oh fuck what is uh, uh Fillion, what's his name uh Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. He he he's sort of the uh, the physical embodiment of, of the first in season seven, um, because because I because you do need somebody tangible to, to look at and talk to and kind of be scared of. But as you said, the first part of what's so scary about the first is it's almost like this. It's it's not really like in this in the way that you can't ever really get rid of evil. It's always going to exist. So then, how how can you possibly? defeat something that, that that will always exist. Evil will always be part of the world. And, and I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of sort of what's happening. I, I do very much love this episode, so I'm, I'm glad it's on the list. And I'm glad you remembered it so well because you helped me out an awful lot just now. So that's... <laughs> with, sorry, uh, I was just going to say with season seven that um, a lot of people don't love it. They don't think it's, you know, the greatest ending. And my biggest problem with season seven is after this episode we get introduced to a slew of new characters right. because the idea is that um, uh, there's girls out there who are 
potential, to have the potential to be called as the next Slayer. So the first is trying to take over the world by killing them off with their merc- with these mercenaries. And so they all kind of congregate to the Summer's house where they decide to fight back. And so it's all these new girls. And I'm, if this is my last season of this show that I love and these people that I love, I want to deal with them. I don't want to deal with you know, squabbles of, you know, whose hairbrush this is and all that. So there's a (laughs) bit too much of that. But this is where it really kicks off and where we really get into these deep characters that we love. So it's it's a very big treat and one that Buffy fans should savor for the next few episodes when we're dealing with all these new, pardon me, new characters. Now, uh, so so that's the end of uh, Joss Whedon's list. And we'll um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the next uh, bit a little bit brief, but... Uh, is, was there one episode that you really loved that did not turn up on Joss Whedon's list? Yes, and I think it is very significant to the Buffyverse. It is the season finale of season three, Graduation Day Part Two, um, because it's very crucial. Because basically, Buffy kind of pulls a Tony Stark and, and comes out to the school. We don't see her do it, but she the mayor is going to turn into this huge monster mm-hmm. who's going to kill the student body. And so she basically lets them in on what's going on. And she, she makes an army out of the high school students. And there's just the idea of, you know, high school is just this terrible time for so many people where even though everyone's dealing with these issues, you feel like you're completely alone and, and no one, no one really comes together with each other and unites, but there's this beautiful moment where, the 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 big fight is starting and the vampire minions of the mayor are ready to attack and then they just you just see the shocked look on their faces and it's the students just going at them and wailing on them with you know axes and stakes and stuff and it's like i i cry every time i watch it <laughs> because it, it's the students you know putting aside their differences the jocks are fighting alongside the nerds and just saying fuck you and it's this big you know we're not going to take it anymore moment like you're not going to come into our house and try and kill us and if you want to try we're going to give you the fight of your fucking life and it's it's beautiful and it's an episode where angel leaves and it's it's so it's so crucial to the buffy canon so i i, I would have put it on my list that's a good pick and and season three probably again if you had to twist my arm and make me pick Season three is probably my favorite season overall of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from top to bottom. It's uh, maybe the most consistently good. It's also the season where, for my money, I kind of felt like like season two was very, very, very strong. I felt like season three is the one where they figured out what they were doing. They figured out what the show was, who these characters were. They figured out what what was possible with the show and uh, and expertly exercised it's, it for season it's three. Phenomenal. And what one little part that I like, and another huge thing for one of the characters is this is the episode where willow loses her virginity um she you know she she's very nervous about about this upcoming battle and her boyfriend oz who who is just should write a book on how to be a fantastic boyfriend <laughs> he um you know and he he's he doesn't show his emotions a lot he's just a very stoic character and so she's freaking out and she's like why aren't you panicking right now and she's getting pissed off and he just gives her the, this kiss to end all kisses. He's like, what are you doing? And then he goes panicking. And then, you know, it's implied that they have sex. And so later on, when they're preparing the students for battle, and they have basically all these weapons in the back of Oz's <laughs> van, and he's just doling out, like, you know, an ice cream truck um, before graduation. And after, you know, he hands off the last of the weapons to the students, he's in the back of the van with Willow. And then she's just like, 
oh, like, what, what do we do now? There's only a few minutes to graduation. And then it's, and so then, you know, they kind of look at each other. And then the next scene is them showing up late to graduation. I'm like, this is the girl, the nerdy girl who was walked all over by Cordelia and the nerds. And, you know, was too scared to drink from the water fountain because Cordelia wanted it. And now Willow, Willow the nerd is the girl who is late to her fucking graduation because she is boning her musician <laughs> boyfriend in the back of a van at the fucking school. Like, I was I was so proud of her. And it's not this big, you know, rah-rah, significant moment, but it's just kind of, like, I'm as a fellow nerd, I am so <laughs> proud of her. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, for me, the if there's an episode that I really, really, really love that didn't find itself on, on the list... Uh, it would probably be the the season finale for season five, the gift. Um, that would be episode twenty two of season five, and and you referenced it uh, earlier, but that's the one where Buffy, uh, you know, for for all for every season of the of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she puts her life on the line. She risks her life to save the world, but it's the, it's the end of season five where she she knowingly sacrifices her life to save the world. So it's not so much that she's in in the battle. And she comes out on the losing end. She she understands that as 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 all the shit is raining down on them, as hell is literally raining down on them, that that the key to saving the world is sacrificing her own life. And so she does so knowingly and willingly. And it's 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 beautiful and it's powerful and it's heartbreaking. And and you know, at the end of the episode, you see Buffy's tombstone of uh, the year she was born and the year she died, and it said she saved the world a lot. And then, and it's, it's so beautiful and perfect. But then even before that, like the whole episode, it, it, well, you know, it's like you know the the that final scene of her sacrificing her life is uh, sort of underscored by a voiceover of her reading this letter that you know Don's reading this letter that she wrote to her, and even that just gets me choked up every oh time I, I hear it. And then, I mean, there's so many good things about it, but but I don't. I won't even say it's my favorite because I feel like I can't pick a favorite. But if I had to pick just a favorite moment from that episode, that just you know just fills me with the every, you know as much Buffy joy as I can feel. It's when uh it's when when uh when when Giles kills um. Oh, I love that scene, Ben, Doctor ben, ben. Thank you. Yeah, where where Buffy is in a position to kill him. Uh, but she doesn't do it because ultimately that's not what Buffy does. And so then Giles is left over and Ben thinks that he's gotten away without dying and they're having a conversation about Buffy and Giles gives this really poignant talk about, you know, how she represents, you know, the best of us. And then in the next beat kills the guy because he can oh do it. God. Buffy can't do it, but he can do it. And it's so fucking good. Like if you want that like top 10 hot Giles moments, because, and I mean like, and you need a little bit of darkness because you have mm-hmm. to be willing to do the things that, other people can't. And I mean, Giles would fit right in with the protagonists of TV drama today. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, absolutely. They're all terrible people. And Giles isn't, but he's willing to do terrible things. And oh my God, it's it's delicious. My God, if anybody listened to us talking for the last hour and a half and you're not at least a little bit excited to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then there's, there, there's, there, there's no hope for you. I don't know if there's anything else my Canadian friend Liz and I could could possibly do to get you excited about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, before we wrap up, Liz, um, uh, I, I, I wanted to ask you a question. Now, let's say, for example, you've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And let's say you don't have Netflix. And let's say you are a consumer who likes to own the the TV shows that you watch. So you decide that you want to buy one or all of the box that's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, what might be 
the best strategy that you can imagine going to, to buy the, the box that's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Well, I might try Amazon. That's a really, really good idea. Amazon's great because they have everything. Now, let me ask you this, Liz. Um, would you go directly to, to Amazon.com or do you have some other, some other uh, path as to how you might get there? Well, I heard a rumor that if I went on the Martin Lestrap Show website, martinlestrapshow.com, and clicked on the Amazon shop banner, that it takes me right there and I can purchase Buffy just like I would normally. But I'm just wondering, Martin, would it cost me more money to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you something, Liz. First of all, no, it wouldn't cost you any money. I'm going to tell you something else. That rumor you heard, it's 100% true. No fucking way. So whoever's spreading these rumors, this time they got it 100% correct. You can go to martinlestrapshow.com, go to the shop page, click on the Amazon banner, just as you said. It's going to take you to Amazon.com, do all the same shopping you were going to do otherwise. It doesn't cost you any more, and yet there is some good that comes out of it. But because you went through the official website of this podcast, the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, Amazon in turn kicks back a few pennies our way, and then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the show. And it allows us, it allows me and Liz and Chanel and everybody who contributes to this show, it allows us to make the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it. And then you also win, not just you, Liz, but you, the listener, who's gone to the shop page, because now you own Buffy the Vampire Slayer on box set, which you should, or if you're like me, you own several boxes. I have every season twice on box set, oh uh, which wasn't a strategy. I bought them all, and then uh, sometime later, Chanel and I got a, a gift of the entire series on box, and it is such a beautiful box set. We kept it, but we're so sure sometimes... exquisite. That's the one thing you don't you don't get that anymore because yeah. you just stream everything. But mm-hmm. if you go to Amazon, you get you get helped out. We get a beautiful box set. I couldn't think of a better marriage. Everybody wins. Everybody. Uh, and also, if uh, if uh, if you, not you, Liz, but uh, but somebody else, if, if somebody else is not subscribed to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, they can subscribe on iTunes. It's free. It's convenient. Every week I drop a new episode into your lap. Sometimes we talk Buffy. Uh, sometimes we talk movies and Oscars. Sometimes I interview uh, a fellow author. Sometimes I talk uh, with the official comic book expert, Anthony Ray Bench. Uh, the show goes all sorts of directions, and uh, you know. And, and if you enjoy what we're doing, just subscribe. And every week, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to look for it. And quite frankly, you don't even have to listen to it as soon as it comes out. Just listen to it at your at, at, at your leisure. This is entertainment on demand that uh, that we're happy to do for you. Uh, if you're not an iTunes listener, check out the show on Stitcher Radio, which you'll find at stitcher.com. It's also free. It's also convenient. You You don't have to subscribe, but you can. And if neither one of those options does it for you, just do it the old-fashioned way and go to marginalstrapshow.com where all 115 episodes of the podcast are available to you. And starting next week, all 116 episodes are going to be available to you. And uh, Liz, if you had to guess the week after that, uh, how many episodes would be available? Well, if my math serves me, would it be 117? 117. You catch on quick. Just like yeah, our that's listeners. That's almost as many episodes as Buffy. You're catching up. My God, I, I'm approaching... A Buffy, Buffy number of episodes. I, I didn't even think about that until you said it. That's uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I can only hope that it, that every once in a while that uh, my show is at least a little bit as good as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And if that's the case, I can uh, I can sleep well. Well, listen, Liz Hersey, this has been a, a blast. I'm, gl- I'm glad. I have had so much fun. There's nothing I love doing more than talking about Buffy. Uh, especially talking about Buffy on the Martin Strap Show on podcast. On the Martin Strap Show. Listen, podcast. you implied oh, it. I, yeah. I just, I just finished the thought, but you implied it. I heard it in there. 
<laughs> well, I'm always I'm always thinking it. So it's Obviously. just I mean, I'm you know, just like when I'm hungry, I don't necessarily say I'm hungry, but it's just because I'm always thinking it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. Uh all right, guys. Well, thank all of you for joining us. Now I also want to thank uh all of Liz Hersey's fans, because I'm I'm certain that uh uh, you know, at least more than a few of Liz's fans uh, came in to check out what we were doing, possibly listening to the podcast for the first time. So I want to thank all of you guys for checking it out. Hopefully you liked it. And if you did go backwards and listen to other episodes, if nothing else, just go listen to the Buffy episodes. Chances are you'll you'll dig that stuff, too. And uh, come back next week. Uh, what's happening next week? I don't know, but we'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, I will see you on the other side. Later, cunts. Thank you.